Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, November 25th. In today's news, President-elect Joe Biden looks to name a slate of independent nominees for the Justice Department. The first 6.4 million doses of Pfizer's vaccine could go out in mid-December. And a formerly homeless man gives away 2,500 Thanksgiving dinners. But first, the big idea. Of all the norms, standards, and traditions that the Trump administration has jettisoned and trampled, a couple of lucky Thanksgiving turkeys are still saved each year from meeting their maker. And the White House Christmas tree continues to arrive in a horse-drawn wagon. Perhaps these holiday rituals have endured because the stakes are so low. No one's taxes will rise or fall because of them. No one's citizenship is called into question. There's no inconvenient science with which to grapple. It's just a matter of gazing upon a Fraser fur from West Virginia or making light patter about a couple of Iowa-raised birds. And for a few moments in late November, America turns its attention to keeping up the appearance of hearth-and-home conviviality. Robin Gavon writes that there is a smidgen of solace in this, in the facade, the lie, the wishful thinking, the distraction, the delusion, the hope. President Trump has been more than willing to take a hatchet to the pillars of democracy by most recently refusing to concede the election. But the pardoning of the national Thanksgiving turkey went forward Tuesday afternoon without incident. The first lady has been captured on audio tapes expressing disdain for having to contend with Christmas decorations. But nonetheless, she stood outside the White House on Monday afternoon in her heels and houndstooth coat to welcome the arrival of the official Christmas tree. It's surprising that the first couple bothers. The turkey pardoning ceremony requires a certain willingness to look silly and to exhibit a sense of humor, skills that Trump has not revealed himself to have. And for a man who likes to be serenaded with cheers and adulation, the turkeys can't praise him for his benevolence. But at least they can't boo. As White House events go, these two, the turkeys and the tree, are arguably the most understated. The dress code doesn't involve tuxedos or ball gowns. They aren't held against the backdrop of dozens of American flags and with a soundtrack of military marches echoing in one's ears. There are no hordes of dignitaries, and they're also blessedly brief. These traditions are as free from politics as anything can be that is hosted by a politician. They don't require much heavy lifting. They're ceremonial of the lowest order. They simply require someone to show up. And so, the president walked hand in hand with the first lady into the recently refurbished Rose Garden, where he addressed about 100 people who were mostly masked. He celebrated the Dow Jones Industrial Average reaching a record high, 30,000 points. He remarked upon the imminent arrival of the first doses of the coronavirus vaccine, and then he turned his attention to the birds, only one of which, corn, was present. The backup bird, Cobb, was absent. The president said that Thanksgiving is a very special day for turkeys. Then he paused and went off script, saying, quote, I guess probably for the most part not a good one when you think about it. Then Trump pardoned corn, which he did by holding his hand above the bird and pronouncing it spared. Afterward, Trump's grandchildren, who were in the audience, stepped up to corn's leaf-bedecked roost and gave the bird a pet. By then, the president and his wife had departed. The ceremony, after all, was finished. And they had shown up. Next on Trump's list of pardons, perhaps Michael Flynn, 
Axios reports that Trump has told confidants he plans to pardon his former national security advisor who pleaded guilty in December 2017 to lying to the FBI about his Russian contacts. Flynn's lawyer, Sidney Powell, acknowledged at a court hearing in September that she had spoken to Trump recently and had requested that he not issue a pardon. It's unclear what discussions Powell and the president have had since then. In addition to Flynn, CNN is reporting that others who are under consideration are George Papadopoulos and Paul Manafort. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Thanksgiving Eve. Number one, President-elect Biden's aides held at least 20 meetings yesterday with Trump officials, and they're now in active discussions with every federal agency about the transition, as well as the White House. Biden's team has been in close touch with Tony Fauci, whom Biden has promised he will keep as the nation's top infectious disease expert. The president-elect today will begin receiving the president's daily brief, a compilation of the nation's most sensitive intelligence. One of the more consequential posts that the president-elect still needs to fill is that of attorney general. Most senior Democrats and former Justice Department officials agree that a top contender for this position is Sally Yates, the former number two, whose tenure stretched from 2015 to those early tumultuous days of the Trump administration when she refused to enforce Trump's Muslim ban. Other names under consideration include Senator Doug Jones, the Democrat from Alabama who just lost, former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, California Attorney General Javier Becerra, and former White House counterterrorism advisor Lisa Monaco. Behind the scenes, each of these Democratic contenders has a constituency as well as detractors, but whomever Biden picks will have to be confirmed by a Senate that is currently controlled by Republicans. Among Biden's transition team, early talks have focused on reinstituting a more robust civil rights division and pushing more vigorously on criminal justice reform. At the same time, Biden has pledged to restore independence at the department, and his senior advisors are keen to improve morale after the departing Attorney General Bill Barr gave a speech in September excoriating many of the department's career employees, literally comparing them to preschoolers. Devlin Barrett and Matt Zapatosky report that talks among Biden's transition officials have also focused heavily on environmental issues, perhaps signaling a more aggressive role for the Justice Department's Environment and Natural Resources Division. In the Trump administration, the Environmental Protection Agency referred the fewest number of criminal anti-polluting cases to the Justice Department in decades. Beyond the basic question of criminal investigations into President Trump, Biden's team is also likely to wrestle with a version of the same problem that Barack Obama's administration faced in its first month. How much time and political capital to expend on the controversies and scandals of the previous administration? The Biden Justice Department will face tough decisions about how much information to share with Congress or through Freedom of Information Act requests about Trump's family separation policy at the U.S.-Mexico border, the department's handling of sensitive cases involving close associates of the president, and any internal discussions about pardons. Number two, the federal government plans to send 6.4 million doses of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine to communities across America within 24 hours of regulatory clearance, with the expectation that the shots could be administered quickly to frontline healthcare workers. General Gustav Perna, who oversees logistics for Operation Warp Speed, the Trump administration's efforts to speed up treatments and vaccines, told Arlena's son that state officials were informed this past Friday night of the allocation, which is based on each state's population. 
The amount would cover only a portion of the nation's 20 million healthcare workers, let alone our national population of 330 million. But Perna said a steady drumbeat of additional doses will be delivered as manufacturing capacity ramps up in each successive week. U.S. government officials are on track to have 40 million doses of vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna by the end of the year, enough to vaccinate 20 million people. Remember, each vaccine requires two shots. It's likely to be April before the general public begins to get vaccinated. The initial batch of 6.4 million doses also includes vaccines that would go to five federal agencies that will receive allocations directly from the federal government, the Bureau of Prisons, the Defense and State Departments, the Indian Health Service, and the Veterans Health Administration. States are supposed to designate their top five sites capable of receiving and administering the Pfizer vaccine, which must be stored at a temperature of minus 70 degrees Celsius. Many states have designated large hospital systems to be the first places to receive vaccines because they're among the very few places that have these ultra-cold freezers that can efficiently and effectively store the vaccine and vaccinate people. Once the vaccine is cleared by the FDA, an independent advisory panel to the CDC, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, will hold a public meeting within 48 hours to vote on final recommendations for the vaccine's use and who should get the shots first. Lena has some good reporting on where they're headed. Healthcare workers will be the first priority. Of course, about 3 million residents of long-term care facilities, nursing homes, are also likely to be included in that first phase. Next in line will be an estimated 87 million other essential workers, including first responders, teachers, and grocery store workers, more than 100 million adults with high-risk pre-existing medical conditions, and then about 53 million adults over the age of 65. Number three, Rob Adams is a successful real estate agent in Utah. But when he was 11, he and his family experienced homelessness and lived in the back of a pickup truck. Rob's parents only had enough money for him and his siblings to stay in a motel room one night a week. So for the better part of 1982, they spent the other six nights in the covered bed of their pickup in Porter, Texas, which is just outside Houston. The 49-year-old remembers that his biggest meal of the day was school lunch, when the cafeteria ladies would give him extra generous portions because they knew he was poor. Many nights, there was no dinner. But just before Christmas that year, 1982, a local family from their church offered up their house for two weeks while they headed out of town for the holidays. They left presents under the tree for Rob's family and filled the fridge with food, including a turkey and homemade pies. Rob still remembers crying when he opened that fridge and saw all that food. Unless you've been hungry, Rob says, you can't imagine how he felt. In an interview with Kathy Free, he remembers telling himself as a little boy, Someday, if I have money, I'm going to do this for somebody else. Rob has made good on that promise. He started Thanksgiving's Heroes, a nonprofit that this year gave away 2,500 boxes, each filled with a Thanksgiving feast weighing 53 pounds to homes in Salt Lake City. Thanksgiving's Heroes began in 2015 when Rob raised enough money to give away turkeys and all the trimmings to 755 families in need. The initiative has grown every year since, and this year expanded into Tampa, Dallas, and Cleveland. Rob's wife and four daughters helped him deliver the food boxes around Utah this past weekend with assistance from 800 volunteers. This year's box included a 20-pound turkey, 10 pounds of potatoes, a package of butter, a gallon of milk, a veggie tray, cranberry sauce, stuffing, gravy, olives, a pumpkin pie, whipped cream, and ingredients for Rob's favorite side dish, green bean casserole. And one more thing, 
before we're off the next two days for the Thanksgiving holiday, I wanted to reflect on what I'm thankful for. Yesterday, the coronavirus killed 2,092 Americans. That's our highest daily death toll since May 6th. Another 171,621 new cases were reported yesterday. At least 259,000 people have now died in the United States from the contagion since March. Nine states yesterday reported their highest number of daily deaths. It's going to get worse because so many people are traveling for the holidays. Many more Americans are going to die in the coming months. Millions more will lose their jobs and their homes as the economy appears to be backsliding. Untold numbers of families will go hungry. Think of all the kids like Rob who won't have dinner. There's a lot, a lot to be angry about and afraid about right now, righteously so. But there are also reasons, important reasons to give thanks. Our pilgrim ancestors survived some dark winters during their early years of settlement here in the new world. And we too will endure. I'm thankful for our doctors and our nurses on the front lines of the fight who are making this contagion far less fatal than it was in the spring. And I'm thankful for our scientists and our logisticians who are working tirelessly to get us safe vaccines and effective treatments as quickly as possible, from Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca in the private sector to the career professionals at the FDA, the CDC, and the NIH. And as I said a few weeks ago, I'm thankful to you for listening. Please stay safe and know that better days are ahead. And that's The Daily 202 for November 25th. I will talk to you on Monday.